How you doing, guys? Everybody good? Yeah? Everybody excited for Thanksgiving? All right, I like that. A little enthusiasm. Come on, Joe. Come on. We got a little bit. That's good. Uh, everybody excited that in-laws are coming into town? Yeah? Don't mention that to mine. Um, I am, uh, I'm excited about Thanksgiving. We got a week uh, of just gathering together as a family, uh, a week of kind of resting and being thankful and grateful. There's a lot of great things going on here at the church and, and in our lives, and, and, and it's really important, I think, for us to have just a space to just say, thanks, God, you're good. Uh, and so I just want to encourage you to do that with your family over the next week of just figure out a way. Get your kids, I know they'll say dumb things, like they'll be thankful for My Little Pony or Steph Curry or something like that, but, but just let them, let them say what they're thankful for and, and be blessed by whatever it is that they're thankful for. We've been walking through this series called The Space Between, and we've got two weeks left. Mike's going to be here next week to share with us, and we're talking about the songs of ascent, and they're the songs that God's people would sing as they would travel from their homes to Jerusalem three times a year. And so there was this journey that they took that, that they said, listen, if we don't carve out this space every single year three times, we're going to forget some things. And we're going to get so caught up in our everyday life that we're just going to forget that God is moving and that God is working and that God is always present and that God is good and that God meets us in reality. And we're going to miss all of this good stuff if we don't carve out this space, this space to travel. Because in our life, there's mountaintop moments, right? There's moments where everything's great, where everything's perfect, where it feels like everything's going exactly the way we want it to be. And then there's these deep valleys and deep deserts where it feels like everything's going wrong. But much of life is spent in between those two spaces, right? And it's, it's like one of the greatest goals of discipleship is just, just learning to navigate those everyday spaces. It's how do, we, how do we follow God when there's not a lot of action going on? How do we follow God when it feels like life is just kind of mundane and ordinary? And it's just kind of like there's nothing incredible happen. I'm just... Just another week, right? It's another week where I'm getting up and I'm moving and I'm working and I'm trying to faithfully follow him. It feels like so much of life is learning to follow Jesus in the ordinary. And that's what the space between is about. It's just us learning to navigate the spaces that God has placed us in. And, and so today we're going to talk about Psalms 130. If you don't have a Bible, um, we're going to be in the Bible today. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll have somebody put a Bible in your hands. We got, we got, a, bunch, we got a stack of new ones back there. They're going fast, which is pretty awesome. I don't, I don't know who's giving away Bibles, but we're happy that they're being given away. So keep giving those away to friends and those types of things. But, but if you need a Bible, raise your hands up. We'll put one in your hands. And, and, and in Psalms 130, I think it's the most practical of all of the Psalms that we've looked through so far. And, and what it's really talking about is waiting. And I don't know about you guys, but I am terrible at waiting. Anybody with me? Where are my impatient people? Where are my people that when, the, when you go into the doctor or the dentist, you lose your mind because you set an appointment? Like, the doctor should honor my time more thoroughly, shouldn't he? Like, I know that there's other people that are dying and I just have a cold, but, but shouldn't he be more faithful to like, I set an appointment at 11 o'clock and I have been here. I went to uh, a doctor, I, I had to, I had, I, well, we don't need to know why, uh, that's a little too personal. Uh, I went to a doctor and, and as I went to the doctor, it was the first time I'd been to the doctor and they made me fill out all this paperwork, right? You Like here, it's like I'm writing my will every time I go to the doctor now. So I'm filling out all this paperwork and, and one of the things on the paperwork it said is it said, if you are five minutes late 
to your appointment, then you will owe us the money for that appointment, and uh, you, you won't get your appointment. Five minutes. That's not a lot of grace. And so I'm reading that, and I'm kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. And I filled out all my paperwork, and it took me about 10 minutes to do it, and I set it up on the counter, and then I sat. And then I sat some more, and then I sat some more. And when it got to an hour and 15 minutes, my like, condescension could not hold it in anymore. Like my, I, I had been, like, that's just discipline. I've got an hour and 15 minutes of discipline, and then after that, like, so the dark side takes over, something bad happens. And I just gently walked up to the counter, I said, hey, I just signed a paper that said if I'm five minutes late, I have to pay you, but I have now been waiting an hour and 15 minutes. Is this visit free? <laughs> uh, they didn't think it was funny, uh, and uh, I don't think uh, they want me to come back. But, but isn't it, like, I just hate, I hate that. I, when you go to the restaurant and, you, and you, you see there's a line outside the door and there's like people wait, I'm like, no, we're out. We'll go to Wendy's. I don't care. Like, we will, let's go to Arby's. Um, my wife hates me for that because she will wait for the good food, and I'm like, I don't care if it's good. I just want some food. I just want anything. I, I, like, let's, I'm not going to wait 45 minutes for Mexican food tonight. Any, like an amusement park with your children. It should be like a joy-filled place. It should be this amazing place, but it's 3,000 degrees, and you just paid $45 for a Diet Coke that your daughter drank in five minutes because she needed more sugar, and then you're standing in line for an hour to ride a terrible ride that makes you feel like you're going to throw up. And this is, this is my experience of amusement. I hate amusement parks. I can't handle it because I don't want to wait. Right? Anybody with me? You don't want to wait. I, my, my wife this week was talking to a guy who owns a bunch of restaurants. And he was telling us about Uber Eats right? Which is a pretty cool thing. Like, I, I love our culture. Like, we, we have learned in our culture that we don't have to wait for anything ever. And so we've just figured out ways to, to do these types of things. But he was telling us that for restaurants, Uber Eats costs 30% for the restaurants to use. Like, that's a huge percentage of that meal. So if, like, that, that's a big cost that they have to pay for this. But what they're learning at restaurants and what our, how our culture has shifted in the last 10 years is that people care more about their time than they do about the quality of the food now. So they don't care if the food comes to them and it's cold if the food comes to them, it's a little old, if the chips are a little stale, if, you know, whatever, because it's been sitting out for a long time, they want it now. And all of this is good because we're kind of this culture that's learned how to download everything and press a button. Everything is fast acting and everything is quick working and everything's right there at our fingertips. I love Amazon, right? Amazon Prime's the greatest thing the world has ever seen. Like I, I can have toilet paper in my house in two days and I don't even have to go to the store. Like I just press a button. There's like a button that you can actually put in your cabinets, which we're terrified because my daughter would just press it over and over again and we would get, I don't know, 45 boxes of wheat thins at our house or something like that. But there's these, this, you press a button and it's there. It's crazy how quick and accessible and easy everything is, except for life is not that way. Discipleship is not that way. God doesn't work in this fast acting, press the quick button and God shows up kind of way. And so there are moments in our life where God calls us into seasons of waiting. And for me, it's really challenging to walk into that space. It's really difficult. And it's not just a fun, silly kind of doctor's office kind of thing. It's actually a deep-rooted discipleship issue that I've got to wrestle with in my own heart.
It's something that is actually incredibly challenging. So in those type of seasons, when we're required to wait, I'm this kind of type A person who I, I want to get stuff done, right? I want things to happen. I want it to happen in the right way, on the right schedule, and I want to get results. And so when, I, when I'm called into these seasons of waiting, what it reveals is it reveals my fears and my anxieties and my lack of faith and my lack of trust that God is good, my lack of dependence on the Father, my lack of believing that he's actually working in my waiting, And so for me, I want to fight the waiting. I want to get through it as quickly as possible. I want to control and coerce the situation so it happens in the way that I want it to happen. And over the last few years, I've, I've realized that I often shortcut God because I want to get through stuff. I just want to get done with it. I want it to be over. I want to be out of there. I want to be impatient. I want God to move me through this season into the next. And what happens is I often miss what God is doing in me because I want to get to what God wants to do through me. So in Psalms 130, there's this really practical, it's a really practical passage about how God is working in our waiting. And it starts, it's got kind of a, a, a unique formula. Verses 1 through 4 kind of names the problem. Like, here's the problem, here's what's going on, here's the struggle. Verses 5 and 6 give us like a procedure. This is what we do when we wait. This is how we faithfully operate in the space of waiting. And verses 7 and 8 gives us a plan. And so one of the things that I often do with my kids when we're studying the Bible is we just ask them two really simple questions. So we will open the Word of God at our dinner table. Uh, We just try and, like, anytime you have a captive audience of children, open the Bible. And so that, for us, is dinner. They're there, they're eating, they're stuck, they're in a seat, they don't have devices, like... Use the Bible in those moments. And so we'll open up the Scripture, and we just will read a passage, and we'll ask the kids two questions, really simple questions. In this passage, what do we learn about God? And in this passage, what do we learn about us, humans? What do we learn about our nature? And what do we learn about God's nature? So here's what I want to do. This is a little crazy, guys. This is, we're, we're getting into wild stuff, but it's Thanksgiving. You're going to have to bear with me. We're going to do that this morning as a family. Can we do that with Psalms 130? So I'm going to read this passage. I'm actually going to read it twice. We're going to put it on the screen. You guys have Bibles. If you need a Bible, you can grab one in the back. And, and I want you just to think about and get ready to name what do we see God doing in this passage? What does this teach us about God? And what does this teach us about us? Okay? And I'm going to write those on this whiteboard, and it'll be crazy and amazing. Psalms 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for, mer- for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you might be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. All right, I'm going to read it again. Remember, the first four passages are naming the problem, right? Verses 5 and 6 is like, here's a procedure. This is what we do. And verses 7 and 8 as a plan, all right? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you might be feared. Here's the the procedure. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. 
My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the, in the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all of its iniquities. All right, so as we look at that passage, we need, we need audience participation for the first time ever. We can do this. What do we see God doing and what do, we, what do we learn about God and what do we learn about us in this passage? Let's start with what do we learn about God. What do we see God doing? What do we learn about God in this passage? Just start naming some things out. Okay, he forgives. He listens. He what? Redeems. What else? Rescues. We're doing good. Come on. Keeps his promises. Good. He's patient. Okay, we're moving too fast for me now. <laughs> He's aware of our sin. Love steadfastly. What else do we see? Anything else? He's on the way. Mm-hmm. good. What else? Merciful. Merciful. So as we look at this, there's something really important for us to recognize here. One is everything on here is really good news for me, right? That this is the God that we serve, that this is how our God acts, that this is how our God behaves, that this is how our God moves and works. And two, is that as we're waiting, God isn't passive. Does that make sense? Because sometimes it feels like waiting is like wasteless business. It's just like I'm just hanging out, nothing's happening, I'm just kind of going through life, I did t- yesterday, I'm going to do tomorrow, I'm going to do today, and nothing's going on. But in our waiting, God is working. He's doing all of these things. It just doesn't always happen when we press the button. It just doesn't always happen as quickly as we'd like it to be. What, what does this passage teach us about us? Impatient. I'm sorry? We have to trust him. So I'm just to say we lack trust. Desperate, good. We're broken. In need of forgiveness. We need rescued. Good. Can't save ourselves. It's great. We're afraid. I like, I like this column better than ours, by the way. I, don't, don't you? What else? Needy. Anything else? I'm sorry? Desperate. We've got that. Sinful, yeah. We've sinned. 
So as I look at these two columns, what I recognize in here is I, I really do, I like God's column better than ours. I like what he does in our waiting more than I like what we do in our waiting. Right? I like the way that he works more than I like the way that I work, which is what discipleship is about. Right? So we use the, the word discipleship all the time here. And what that really means is it's living the life that Jesus would live if he were me. It's learning to allow my character and my competency to be shaped by him so that I become like him. It's learning to be with Jesus so that I can become like Jesus, right? That's the process. And so it's formative, right? It's me being formed and shaped and changed and transformed into the human who lives like Jesus lived, right? First John 2, 6 says we want to live as Jesus lived. We want to walk as he walked. And that is the journey of discipleship for us. So in this passage, uh, it starts off, Psalms 130, it says, out of the depths I cry to you, which is an interesting passage because what it's revealing is there's a way that we can cry out to God that is surface level, and there's a way that we can cry out that's deep. You understand this, right? There's a way that I can cry out to God that's just kind of like, ah, God, I'm praying today. I'm going through the motions. Be with my kids. Be with my mom. Be with this. Do this. Help me with this. And it's not us crying out from the depths. And it's almost like there's something that needs to happen or something that we need to understand or something that we can know so that we can get to the depths. We don't know how to get to the depths of anything. Men, look at me. We are terrible at this, right? Guys, do you ever have, do you have that friend who, like, you talk all the time, but you never say anything? Stop lying. All of you guys have that friend, right? You, you always talk about sports. You always talk about the weather. But you, I have this friend, and, and he came over to our house the other day, and Sarah and I and we're, we were chatting and talking, and we were hanging out, and he said something like, I said, how are you doing? And he was like, eh, I'm all right. And... Uh, and that was, that was it. And he left, and I was like, Sarah, he is in a bad place. She was like, why? I was like, because he said it, right? We have this code. We have like this coded language as men where we don't really say what's in the depths, but we just kind of hint at the depths because we're terrible at the depths. Ladies, have patience with us, right? We're trying. We're just incompetent, right? And so we don't know what's going on in the depths, and we can't name it. It, it. We talked last week about how in our culture, it almost numbs us to our emotions and our feelings and what's going on in the depths, where what, what God does is he wants to deal with the depths, he wants, to, he wants us to name the depths. He wants us to name what's happening. He wants to meet us in the reality of what's going on and deal with that. And so we cry out, but there's a way that we can actually cry out that's not honest and that's not real and that's not genuine and isn't authentic. And so God says, I want you to cry out from the depths. The message says this, help, Lord, because the bottom has fallen out. And the Psalms teaches us to speak from our depths, and it gives dignity to our suffering and our struggles. It teaches us how to navigate those spaces, and it teaches us that there's a deeper reserve that we have access to if we dig down a little bit deeper. P.T. Forsythe said this. He said, God is deeper than the deepest depths of man. He's holier than our, than our sin is deep. The worst thing that can happen to us is that we would not have a God to cry out to. No matter how deeply we cry out to God, and if we've lived for any extended period of time, 
There's been moments where we've been so wounded and we've struggled so much that there's no place to cry out to other than the depths, right? No matter how deep our cry is, God's deeper. And he meets us there. And he meets us in that space. Eight different times in this passage we hear the names of God. He's the one who saves. He's the one who forgives sin. He has steadfast love. He redeems Israel. He has plentiful redemption. I love that line. That's amazing poetry right there. Plentiful redemption. He never gets tired of rescuing us. He never gets tired of giving us his redemption. There's more than we could ever imagine. He doesn't grow weary of saving us. He comes to those who wait. And it teaches us that God is working in our waiting. And the two great realities of Psalms 130 is that suffering is real, right? In this world, we will have trouble, but God is real also, and he will meet us there. And that's good news. The good news is that when we struggle with all of this stuff, God meets us with this stuff. That when we battle and when we, when we're, when we're, when we don't know where to turn, when it feels like the world is all against us, we're, he's there, So what do we do in our struggles? Verse five says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than the watchman waits for the morning. More than the watchman waits for the morning. Israel, I put my hope in you. So there's three things that he says in there. We wait, we watch, and we hope. Which is really good stuff. What do we do when we're waiting? What do we do when we're living in the space between? What do we do when we're navigating that space where it's kind of like, I know that there's a future promise that's out there ahead of me, and I know that God wants good things for me, and I know that this is going to turn, but right now I can't see it. College students live in this space all the time. It's like there's a world out ahead of me where I'm going to get a job, I'm going to have a family, everything's going to be put into place, everything's going to work, but right now I'm just in this space between. And home isn't home because my dad just turned my old bedroom into his home office, right? Or he put a pool table in there. So home isn't home anymore. And this, where I'm living in college, this doesn't feel like home. And so I'm living in this space between, and I want to know what's next, and I want to be there, and I want to arrive, and I want to have everything figured out, but I'm just not there yet. There's so many times in our life where we've got to navigate those spaces, And the question is, what do we learn in our waiting? I love the image of watchmen waiting for the morning. So imagine a guard on a wall. He's been standing there all night, and he's been faithfully looking out at the horizon, faithfully waiting for a sign, faithfully waiting for something to happen, and he's just watching. And he's getting tired, and he's growing weary but he knows the light is coming. He knows the light is coming. He knows it's out in the head. He knows that there's gonna come a moment when that sun is gonna come up over that horizon. And so what we do when we're waiting, what we do when we're struggling, what we do when we're suffering, what we do when we're wounded or we're in pain is we look out to the horizon, we wait for God to move, and we hope and we trust and we watch. Prayer is the disciplined refusal to move before God says go. It's us waiting and watching for him to say go. And there's so many of us, if you're like me, I don't want to wait. Right? I want to control it. I want to get out of it. I want to figure it out. I want to have all the answers. I want to go. I want everything to be worked out in the next 10 minutes. I want to do something. 
My wife is really good at teaching me that there are moments in our marriage where she doesn't want me to do something. Husbands, are you with me? I'm a solver, guys. I, I know how to fix problems. I know how to solve issues. Like, believe me, pastors understand how to help people with their problems. And so there are times when Sarah will be frustrated or something will be going on or she'll, she'll come to me and say, I'm down or I'm sad. And, 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 and you know what's broken and sinful and awful about me? This is what goes through my mind. Okay, how can I fix this in the next 15 minutes? How can I solve this problem as quickly as possible? Because you know what the truth is? The truth is I'm better at fixing the problem than I am at being present to her in her suffering. And there have been so many times, guys who just got married, pay attention to this. <laughs> there have been so many times where she has looked at me and said, I just need you to be with me. I don't need you to solve it. I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to be present. I actually believe that in our waiting, in our suffering, in our struggling, God is speaking that same word over every single one of us. I don't need you to fix it. I don't need you to solve the problem. I'm big enough to take care of the problems of the world, right? I spoke the world into existence. I breathed those mountains that you saw. I, I did that, right? That sunset that just came down, I'm, I'm in charge of that. I, I take care of all of these things. I got the world, and you can trust me. So you don't have to work. You don't have to move, but I want you to be present to what I'm doing right now. And I want you to wait, and I want you to watch. But don't lose hope. Trust that I am all of these good things. And wait, and watch, and hope. But in that space between, what we want to do is we want to have the answer. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, hoping is not dreaming. It's a willingness to let God do it in his way, in his time. It's the opposite of making plans that we demand God put into effect and telling him both how and what we want done. Isn't that how we pray sometimes? Have you ever noticed that sometimes in our prayer life, our prayers are actually us telling God what to do and how to do it? God, I need you to do this, and I need you to take care of this. And that's the only way we know how to pray. And occasionally we throw in a thank you. Right? It's telling God what to do and trying. This is what we do. This is how broken we are. We try and coerce God into doing what we want him to do. God, I was really holy today. Right? Did you see how I gave generously to that charity? Did you see how I bought Oreo churros from that kid from the band that came to door? And nobody likes Oreo churros. Like, did you see how good, how loving I was? Did you see how I didn't want to go outside and rake the leaves, but my wife wanted me to, so I did. So now that I did all of that stuff, would you do this? Our prayer is coercion. And God cannot be coerced, guys. He can't be bartered with. He, he, he doesn't negotiate things. He is perfectly in control of the world. He's perfectly contro in control of your situation. And he wants to meet you in that space. But I'm starting to realize that what I often do is I try and use prayer as a persuasive device to get God to do what, we, what I want him to do. When You know what prayer is? Prayer is being formed by God into the person that he's called you to be.
Prayer is waiting. Prayer is watching. Prayer is hoping. Prayer is begging God to move, and when he does, we obey. But I want to get ahead of him. Are you with me? Like I, I, I want to get ahead of him. I want to get stuff done. I want to take care of things. I, I am terrible at not being busy. I'm terrible at it. I'm so, so bad at it. Uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, I realized that I was going to crash and burn if I didn't figure out a, a rest and a Sabbath pattern in my life. And so I decided I was going to take a full day off of work. And I was like, in this day, I, I really believe this. So, so scripture talks, teaches us to rest, right? Talks about Sabbath. God actually rested in creation. It's a really beautiful thing. And Jesus says the Sabbath was actually made for you. Like it's made for, like that's good news. It's, it's given to us for us by God so that we can be restored, so that we can be redeemed. Uh, Walter Brueggemann wrote a book about Sabbath and he called it Sabbath as Resistance. Sabbath is actually the resistance of my impulse to produce. And when I reduce my, when, when, I, when I get in this space where I say, I'm going to not produce in this moment, I'm actually trusting that God produces when I don't. It actually sets the world right because it reminds me that if I take a day off work, the church doesn't fall apart. That if I don't return this phone call or answer this thing that's in my pocket that demands that I answer the moment it beeps, if I take you know, a 24-hour break from that, that God is still on his throne and everything doesn't fall apart. So I tried to take this time of rest, and you know what happened? I didn't know what to do. I seriously, I, I didn't know how to rest. I, like, I, I woke up and I was like, okay, I can do whatever I want to do today. I'm going to go rake the leaves. Right? I'm going to go answer those emails. I don't know. And here's the thing. Like, this is, this is what's broken. This is, why, this is why busyness and patience and all of these things are discipleship issues. Because the real issue is I don't know who I am when I'm not producing. That my identity is so wrapped up in providing services and meeting people's needs and loving people and serving them that I lose my identity when I'm not producing. And Sabbath is us going to the Father and saying, I'm not going to produce. I'm going to trust that you're producing and I'm going to trust that in the midst of this, you're going to form me and shape me and teach me to trust that you're the one who's in charge and not me but I don't, know, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to do it. So what if, what if in our lack of productivity, God is actually producing something in us? What if a seed is planted in our waiting and it's something that's already begun to boost and to grow and it's taking root, but we just gotta wait for that thing. We gotta water it. We gotta spend time with it. We gotta wait for the breakthrough to come. And what if it's more about us waiting and receiving than us going and doing. So two real simple things as we wrap up. One, our waiting reveals that we still want control when God calls us to surrender. So when we find ourselves in situations we can't control, one of the, one of the most important things for me to remember is that Jesus placed himself there as well. Like how amazing is this? That the God of the universe came down and became one of us, Emmanuel, God with us, that he 
abandoned his control, he laid down his power, he laid down his strength, and he willingly went into Gethsemane and went to the cross and said, God, I trust you so much that I will lay down everything. I will lay down all of my control. I will surrender my impulse to do it my way, and I will trust that your way is better. I have to surrender that every single day to the Father. I wake up every day and I've got a calendar and I've got people that I'm meeting with and I've got a plan and I've got a purpose and I've got a to-do list and I know what I need to get done. I'm, I, I, I've got my one thing that I've got to get done that day that's the most important thing and then I've got my like, second category of things and I, I've got this organizational structure that I work through and I've got to wake up every day and I've got to surrender to the Father and say, all right, Lord, here's my to-do list, here's my calendar, it's yours, where do you want me? And in the middle of that, my life becomes the curriculum for my discipleship. Because as my day's going on, and I'm not perfect at it, guys. I'm learning and growing, and I mess it up more times than I get it right. But I'm waiting, and I'm watching, and I'm seeing where the Lord's working, and I'm just trying to join him there. Number two is my impatient reveals that I still don't trust God, and it's important for me to notice this. When we're impatient, when we're demanding God, when we're controlling this situation, when we feel that impulse to get ahead of him, one of the things that I've learned is just to simply recognize that impulse in me and name it when it happens. So be able to know, like right now, I just want, to, I just want this over with. And recognizing that my impulse to go is not always the right impulse. I'm, I'm, I'm an apostolic entrepreneurial leader. And so dreams get me excited, vision gets me excited, patience is not my strong suit. I, I don't want to, to garden, right? I don't want to plant seeds and water it and till the soil. I just want the harvest, right? Isn't that, isn't that how we act? We want the harvest without the gardening. And that's a really dysfunctional place to be as a leader, and I have to recognize this, and I have to know that there are seasons, and we're in one right now as a church, guys. There are seasons where our job is to garden. It's to till the soil. It's to love where we're at. It's to embrace the blisters that are on our fingers because we're working hard in the soil that we have, and we're praying that someday in the future the harvest will come. But in that, I have to trust that God is good. I have to trust that he's working. I have to trust that he's moving. And so whenever I feel this fear or anxiety or this pressure to act or this need to be where the action is, I need to resist that impulse. And I need to recognize that sometimes that doesn't come from the Father. Our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses, right? And so one of the greatest strengths I have is I will get things done. I'll figure out how to get things done. We'll figure out how to fix the roof. We'll get a sign out front. We'll, like all these things, we'll figure out how to get this stuff done. But the challenge in it is are we actually doing the things that God wants us to do? Are we actually about our Father's business? Are we just doing things for the sake of doing things? Are we just setting these arbitrary goals that we're going after? Or are we pursuing the heart of our God and saying, God, we want to be about the stuff that you're about? So today, we're, we're going to take communion like we always do. And we're going to come to the table, and, and, and we're moving into this kind of Christmas season. And, and I just kind of started 
kind of jumping into Christmas passages. Some people jump out with like early Christmas decorations. Who are our early decorators? Anybody already have their tree up? Well done. Well done, guys. Well done. How many people are already listening to Christmas music in the car? Yeah, you guys are the worst of us. Uh, it's all right. It's all right. I love your heart. I love your spirit. Uh, my impulse is to get into the Bible stories of Christmas early. <laughs> So my Christmas music and tree setting is this week me starting to look at passages about God as Emmanuel and God working in the space between. So think about the passages where we're at between the passages where Jesus shows up. There's these people in Rome that are traveling year after year, three times a year, waiting on a Savior to come, waiting on Emmanuel to show up waiting on God to keep his promises. And there's this long, long season of waiting because God's comfortable in our waiting. He's more comfortable than, than, than we are. And so in Luke chapter 2, in kind of the gospel of Luke, there's all of these passages where these old crazy people recognize Jesus and nobody else does. I love it. It's, it's, it's honestly, it's my favorite part of the Christmas story. My favorite part of the Christmas story is that, 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 um, that Zachariah and Elizabeth, this priest who everybody believes is cursed because he doesn't have a son, who everybody believes is not the favored one of God, that he has some insight into who Jesus is that everybody else doesn't. I love the picture of Simeon. Simeon's this old man who's just been hanging out at the temple forever waiting on Jesus to come. He's been waiting on the Savior. I imagine his prayers are incredible prayers of, Lord, we need you. Lord, show up. Lord, keep your promises. Lord, how long will we wait? How long will it be until you'll be with us, until you'll keep your promises, until you'll do the things that you promised Moses and that you promised Abraham and that you gave us a long time ago? When are you going to keep these promises? And it says that Simeon refused to die. <laughs> until he saw Jesus. And then there's this moment where Jesus is there. He's in the flesh. He's this little boy, and he's walking around the temple. And you know who notices him? Simeon. Nobody else knows. Nobody else is looking at it and saying, this is the Son of God. But for some reason, Simeon had eyes to see that we don't have. You know who noticed him? Anna. Luke chapter 2, verse 36, it says, There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. And listen to this. There's, there's such good keys in here. She never left the temple, but she worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And that day when Jesus was walking in the temple, she knew who he was. And it says, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks and God spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Every time I read these passages, this is, what the, this is the question that I ask. is Lord, how do I have the type of life that I see you when everybody else doesn't? How do I have the type of life that I watch and I wait and I notice you? 
And I recognize the voice of your spirit speaking to me. And I see what you see. And I see the hearts of other people that are broken. And I see what's really going on behind the conversation. And I have eyes to see the world that I can't have on my own. How do I get to a place where I see you? And the clues that we find from Zechariah and Simeon and Anna is the way that we get there as we wait. And we faithfully, day after day, look out on the horizon and wait for that light to come over the horizon. We wait and we watch and we hope. And so maybe you're in a season of waiting. Maybe you're waiting on God to show up and show you what's next. Maybe you're waiting on God to keep his promise that you know he's given to you and that you want and it's good. Maybe you're waiting for him to heal. Maybe you're waiting for him to redeem. Maybe you're waiting for him to restore. Maybe you're waiting for him to bring freedom. Maybe you're waiting for him to to save that relative who you've been praying for for 10 years, for 15 years, for 20 years. Maybe you're waiting for God to just break through. Maybe God's been silent in your life for a really long time and you're just waiting for him to speak. You're waiting for a sign, a clue, something that he's real and that he's good. Everything here is true. This is what he does in our waiting. And all we have to do is just trust him. That's discipleship, is that I trust him with my now because I believe that there's a promised land out there in the future. And so today when you come to the table, when you take that bread and you take that juice and you remember his body that was broken for you and you remember his blood that was shed for you, today as we come to the table, I want you simply to say to God, I believe that you're good and I trust you and I'm willing to wait. Good things come to those who wait. It's not in the Bible. But it is good news, isn't it? And it's true. Nothing in this world that we get that's good can be had at the press of a button. We can get our dinner. (laughs) We can get some toilet paper delivered to the house. We can download that movie or get that video game. But the good stuff in life, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, hope, It all takes time. And the faithful ones are the ones who wait. So, Father, I pray that you would teach us to wait. I pray specifically for the heart that's in front of me today that has been longing for you to show up and is losing hope that you're good. And I pray today that you would do the work that we can't do with songs or sermons or passages, but that your Holy Spirit can do. And I pray that you would meet them right now and you would remind them that you're good and that you're working and they're waiting. I pray for the person who's disappointed in you, God, because you didn't show up when they wanted you to and you haven't shown up yet. And I pray that you would give them a hope today that you're on your way. And I pray that you would simply meet us now and move in this space. We trust you, Lord. We love you. We look to the horizon, waiting and watching for you to show up. And when you do, Father, 
you will get every bit of the praise and every bit of the glory. And so we humbly beg that you would show up, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.